All right, let's open up the Bible to Romans, the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Romans. So obviously he's the human writer, but God the Holy Spirit is the author. And as you turn there, let's prepare our hearts and get ready to bow our hearts before the Lord for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your presence. Because you are in our lives as believers and you are present on this campus and in this building right now. Father, help us to experience your presence, to sense your presence. We pray for every servant and every ministry on the campus tonight that you would empower them and use them for your glory. I pray for everyone Um, We'll be learning your word tonight that you would give each and every one of us open and receptive hearts to receive your word, to receive the work of your Holy Spirit in and through our lives. Help us, Father, to surrender those areas that we're unable or having a hard time surrendering on our own, Father. I pray, Father, for safety on the campus. I pray to decrease and you increase. I pray, Father, that people won't hear from me, but will hear from you. That I'll clearly, by your spirit, express your heart to the people in this room, Father. We give you glory. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 is our lesson. And the title of our message tonight is, Do You Want It Your Way? Do You Want It Your Way? And many of you know that there's an old song with the line, I did it my way in the lyrics. And I hope nobody comes to me after service and try to beat me up for picking on these song uh, lyrics. Because that's not my intention to pick on them, but simply to point out a line in that song. Because it goes with the message for tonight. And for those of you who like burgers, if you remember Burger King, they also used to have a slogan that was slightly different, of course, from the line in those song lyrics I just mentioned and And the slogan was, have it your way. And I was talking to Matt one day, our worship leader, and he threw out an idea to have a big whopper on the screen from Burger King. (laughs) But obviously I chose to go in a different direction. Because tonight, of course, is a serious message. There are serious messages because they're from the word of God. But tonight, of course, it's not... A message that you will call the most popular in the Bible. And God doesn't want us to have popularity contests or to skip over scriptures. And so we're going to go over these scriptures in this letter line by line. And so those lyrics or that line in the song, I did it my way or that slogan, have it your way. Is unfortunately a motto that some people 
live their lives by. They live their lives their own way. And the question is, is, is that the best way to live? To have it our way in life, to do it our way, is that what we want to be remembered for? And so as we look at these scriptures, <coughs> excuse me, we want to pray about this topic. We want to ask God to show us what's the best way to live. And I think many of you who've been in the word for a while understand what the best way to live is. And so you already have the answers in your mind. But verse by verse, point by point, we want to make sure that you're strengthened in the word of God and equipped. So when you're out there in the world and you have a chance to minister to or witness to someone, you'll be able to clearly show them or point to scriptures that show why doing life our own way is not the best way. And so in verse 18 of of Romans chapter 1, we see what the word of God says here. And it begins as follows. For the wrath of God is revealed or shown from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so that word wrath just to start you off with a few definitions, is anger shown in punishment. Or it could be a reference to the punishment itself, the wrath of God. And the word ungodliness refers to the wrongs against God. It's talking about the failure of mankind in the religious realm or area. And so that's ungodliness and unrighteousness. This is talking about the sins against other humans, against man, men or women, the wrongs against people. And just to sum up what we see here in verse 18, it tells us that God's wrath is revealed, is shown against all ungodliness. Godliness, in other words, against godlessness. And it's revealed against the unrighteousness of people who do what? Who suppress or hold down. Another word you can use is hide the truth. And in what way do they suppress or hold down the truth about God, the truth of God? They, they do it. By their unrighteous or their wicked lifestyles. And God's wrath not only will be revealed in time. Not only is it being revealed in time. Right now some people are experiencing it. And we'll show you how as we continue to study the word of God tonight. But many of us also know that his wrath, his his, his judgment will also be revealed in the future. So not only now, but in the future, 
when this life is over, we're going to see a revelation from heaven of the wrath of God, his anger shown in punishment. And this is a holy anger because God is holy. That's matter of fact, one of his attributes and the attribute of God is anything that is true about God. And so if God is holy, if that's one of his attributes, anything that comes from him is going to be holy. It's going to be holy because these attributes can't be separated. But another thing I want to point out to you, just based on verse 18 in Romans 1, is that we see another reason the apostle Paul wanted to share the gospel. The first Two reasons are, number one, he had an IOU mindset. He felt indebted to all people to share the gospel with them. And the second one, which we talked about last week, is that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And so the third reason, of course, he wanted to share this gospel is because of the wrath of God, the wrath that is revealed now and, of course, the future wrath. In verse 19, we get an answer to this question. The question is, how do we know that these people are suppressing or holding down the truth and are deserving of the wrath of God that's revealed? How do we know that? Here you have the answer in verse 19. It says, because what may be shown or known of God is manifest, is Evident in them or among them for God has shown it to them for since in verse 20, the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even or specifically his eternal power and Godhead, which is talking about his divine nature, all of the things that make God God is a reference to his divine nature or Godhead. And so his eternal power and Godhead or divine nature specifically are understood by the things that are made so that they, the people against whom the wrath of God is being revealed, those people are without excuse. And so what we see here is an example of what theologians call the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Cosmos meaning universe. So according to this cosmological argument, the argument goes as follows. We see that there is a universe. We see that there are planets, that there are stars, And everything that goes in them. We see that. We see a moon. We have one moon, planet Earth. Some planets, of course, have more than one. But we see all of these things in the cosmos, in the universe. And so that's the effect. So based on that effect of what we see, the argument is there must be a cause. And the cause, God is what we call or who we call the first cause. C A U 
S-E. And in this case, because there is a universe, there must be a universe creator. And we do that with many other things. We, we infer that, hey, if there is a house, it didn't just appear there. We infer or we come to the conclusion that, hey, some, in, some construction workers must have been involved with this process. If we see a house or if we see a building, an architect must have been involved with that process. And so we use that same argument in that example. We use the same type of argument in the example of a cake or any type of baked goods that you may find in the store. You see the baked goods, you see the cake, you see the pie, the cookies on the shelf. You don't think it just appeared there. That somebody just threw up or just some flour or Sugar just molded together by itself and mixed itself and all this stuff and eggs and butter and put itself in the oven. You don't think that. You think, hey, these are baked good. There's, there's must be a baker. And so going back to the scriptures, we, again, just to give you that big word, we use as one argument, the cosmological argument to show that God exists. And not just us, not just other Bible scholars or theologians, but the scriptures themselves use this argument that, hey, there's a universe. There must be a creator. Turn with me to Psalm 19. And we'll read verses one through four. It says, the heavens declare the glory or the manifest presence of God. And the firmament, the skies show his handiwork, his craftsmanship. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And one translation says in verse three, they have no speech or words. They have no voice to be heard. Speaking of day unto day and night unto night. Their line or their message has gone out throughout all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. And so we look up at the universe. We look up at our sky. We look up at the sun and the moon. And we don't hear them. Speaking words to us. But just because they exist. We can look at that and say, wow. Whoever created that has power. And not just any power, but eternal power. Because the universe and all of creation. Is not eternal. Creation, materials, space, time, all had a beginning. And so if time, space, and matter, matter, things you can see, you can touch, you can smell, 
You can taste matter. All started at one point in time. That means that whoever created it, whoever created these things must be eternal, must exist outside of time. Because if the creator of time created it, that means that he does not need time to exist. So if you erase time, if you get rid of space, if you get rid of matter, God will still be. And so he is eternal. Therefore, his power is eternal. And in the scriptures we just read, we can see just based on the universe that we're in that this God and people may not know his name. They may not have ever read the scriptures. They may not have ever talked to a believer, a Christian. But they should be able to see that, wow, somebody with power created all of this. They should be able to also see the evidence of his Godhead or his divine nature. That, that no human could have created this. Nothing created in time could have created this. But someone with a divine nature, deity, a God must have created this. And everyone, whether they heard the word of God or not, has what we call this general revelation. This general revelation is what we call light. Every person has received some basic light about the evidence of God's existence. But the problem is not everyone has responded to that light. And I firmly believe that, it's, that if people will respond to the light, to the revelation that God has shown to them that he exists, that God will give them more revelation of himself or more light about himself. An example of this that I use is in Acts chapter 10, when it talks about Cornelius the centurion. He was a Roman soldier and he was in charge of a hundred men, of a hundred soldiers. And this man was a devout man. He didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. He never heard the gospel, therefore never had an opportunity to receive the Christ that the gospel is about. But he was devout. He, he prayed to the God of the Bible. He gave alms. He gave. And one day an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And it told him that, hey, your prayers and your alms have come up to God. That's what the angel told him. This messenger of God told him that. And then he told Cornelius, because I believe he responded to the light or to the revelation of God that he received. This angel of the Lord told him, send for Peter. And Peter is going to tell you some things. And so he sent some men to Peter. And Peter, if you remember the story, he was on the rooftop. He, he was hungry. Lunch was being prepared. And he had this vision. And while he, and after he had that vision, some men came, men from Cornelius. And long story short, he ended up following these men back to Cornelius' home. 
He preached the gospel. And before he even finished, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to me, that's an example of a man, Cornelius, who responded to the general revelation he received. And God gave him more by sending one of his apostles, one of the believers, Peter. And so I believe that that is true for people today who would just respond to that general revelation. Hey, there is a universe. There is an earth. There are animals. There are birds. There are fish. There's water. It had to come from somewhere. And I want to know more about who this God is. In verse 21, they are without excuse, just to give you context, because although they knew God, they were aware of God. They had evidence of the God of the Bible, yet and still they did not honor him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile or worthless in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so they have not responded to that light. They rejected that general revelation of the existence of God that is there. And that, of course, is not going to excuse them. They're not going to be excused from the wrath of God. Because they can say, oh, I never read the Bible. I never heard the gospel. But did they respond to the light they received? And so according to these scriptures, they are not excused from the wrath of God. Because they haven't taken step A. You take step A, God will show you step B. And so the question is, what, what have you done with the revelation of God you have received? Because according to these scriptures, these people here as well as many people who are alive today, they did one thing. And that one thing is they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. That's what they did with that general light. That's the first thing they did. The second thing they did is they didn't glorify him as God. They didn't recognize him as God. They didn't praise him as God. Give him the praise that is due his name. And then number three, The third thing they didn't do is they weren't thankful. So they rejected whatever light that they have. And here's the thing. And this is biblical. The more a person knows, the more that person is responsible for obeying. And therefore, the greater their punishment if they don't obey. And that goes for unbelievers as well as for believers. And believers, of course, will be chastised, spanked by our Heavenly Father just to get us back on the right track. And that's biblical. In Luke 12, verses 47 through 48, Jesus is given an analogy of a master who goes away and he sets his steward or his servant in charge of his household. And then came back at an unexpected time. And so picking up at Luke 12, 47, it says, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, he shall be beaten with many stripes. 
shall be beaten with many stripes. Why? Because he knew what his master's will was and he wasn't obedient. And so he was held to a higher standards. And so that that chastisement or that punishment was greater. And 48, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. And so that person is not excused from doing wrong. But the degree of their punishment is less because they didn't know more as much as that person who knew a little more. Who knew their master's will for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required and to whom much has been committed of him. They will ask the more. And so this shows a principle from the scriptures that our judgment that we receive from God will take into account the amount of knowledge we have. And this principle is not only applicable again to believers, but also to unbelievers. And I'll show you the difference between the judgment of the unbeliever and the believer. But turning to Matthew 11 verses 23 and 24, we're going to take a look at specifically unbelievers. Because Jesus had been doing some miraculous works in various cities in Israel. And in Matthew eleven twenty three twenty three he says, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades, place of torment. And one day death in Hades, in the book of Revelation, says, will be cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna, hell. And so they'll be brought down to Hades, this place of torment. For if the mighty works that Jesus did, which were done in you, had been done in Sodom, Sodom would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it was that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And so they're not excused from punishment, the unbelievers in Sodom. But it says it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for the inhabitants of Capernaum. Why? That's because the best, the clearest revelation of God is here. That is Jesus Christ. He is there in the flesh doing mighty works in Capernaum. Sodom didn't have Jesus in the flesh ready to die for sins at that time. He always existed. Yes. But he didn't become incarnate, take on a human body to be crucified yet until this time that Capernaum is seeing him. And so he done many works there. He says, hey, if Sodom would have seen this, they them folks would have repented. So it'd be more tolerable for them on the day of judgment than for you. And so the scriptures teach us that there are degrees of punishment in hell for unbelievers. Now, this is not a reference to purgatory. And this is not a reference to the length of hell. Oh, this person only going to do 25 years. This person do 50. And you, you're super bad. So you do eternity. No, if anybody goes to hell, it's all for eternity. No, there is no purg- purgatory. And nobody's ever getting out of hell if they go there. And so that's not what it's teaching, but it's teaching that there there are levels of suffering in the eternal hell. 
based on the knowledge of that individual. The more light or revelation of God you receive, the more you're responsible for. But let's look at the believer. In James 3 and 1, an unbeliever, by the way, their judgment will be to give them the final sentence of hell, which really uh, they chose for themselves by rejecting the cure for their sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so they're already dying. They're already separated from God because of sin. But Jesus came to cure, put faith in him. They get born again. They go to heaven. But by rejecting him, they're choosing hell. And so the judgment of unbeliever is to give them the final sentence of hell. But in James 3, 1, we're going to look at the believer. And it says here, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. (sighs) So obviously, I'm one of the teachers of the word of God. So I'm held to a higher standard. So I'm standing before people teaching the word of God. And there's many of you who have the gift of teaching as well, or you've been in the word for a long time. And so you're responsible for obeying what you've heard, what you've heard, what you've studied, what you've read. So the more you know, the more that is required of you. And, and the greater the chastisement, the spanking in this life, and, and the greater the judgment for us who know more, who are in that position of leadership. And so he says, don't, don't rush to become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so for believers, judgment day is reward day. And so it's not to determine whether or not we go to hell or not for believers. When they talk about judgment day for believers, it's talking about the Bema seat of Christ where rewards are handed out or not handed out based on faithfulness. And so what's going to happen for some believers, unfortunately, is some will, will experience a loss of rewards. They'll be saved, will be saved, still go to heaven, but there's going to be a lack of rewards for some of us because maybe they were done with an impure motive or maybe we weren't obedient to the light we received. And then some, of course, will have more rewards. And so that's the difference between judgment day for an unbeliever and a believer. Okay, so for believers, it's reward day. But just to wrap up our main point out of this, we are responsible for what we know. So the question I want to pose to you tonight is to make it real to you because the word of God is real and it is alive and we should be evaluating our lives and our walk in Christ. And so the question is, what, what have we been made aware of? What has God revealed to us in his word or perhaps about our lives? Hey, you need to repent for that sin. Is there any sin God has shown to you that you need to repent of? Is there anything in your life that God told you that you need to stop doing or start doing? And are you obedient to that? What has God told us to do? Are we faithful to that calling? 
What have we been teaching? Are we faithful? Are we obedient to that word that we have been teaching? Those are some questions to ask ourselves and to really evaluate our walk. Because the more light, the more we know, the more responsible we are. Unbelievers, believers. That's the principle we see in the scriptures, verses 22 and 23, back in Romans 1. Professing, now these unbelievers who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, they profess or claim to be wise. And in doing that, it says they became fools. And then they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. That is uncleanness in the moral sense. This is sexual impurity in the lust of their hearts to to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creation or the the creature or creation rather than the creator who is blessed or praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile or disgraceful passions or lust. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men or male with male, committing what is shameful. Notice what is shameful. This is a shameful act. Homosexuality, according to the word of God, is a shameful act. But we read last week or studied last week what we are not to be ashamed of. And that, of course, is the gospel of Christ and receiving in themselves in their bodies the penalty of their error, which was due. And so we see one reason here in these scriptures why homosexuality is a sin. Man with man. Women with women. And simply put, it is against nature. It's, it's not God's design. It's not how God created relationships to be. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image, humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, Jesus is love. He never said anything like that. Well, I have to explain that that Jesus did. Because Jesus, in addressing a question about divorce from the Pharisees, he confirmed this fact. He confirmed the design of God for men and women. Because Jesus said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And so that's sweet, loving Jesus that some people only want to remember. But they don't remember that that Jesus is the eternal God. And so not only did Jesus repeat what he read, but he was also there at creation when male and female, when the first marriage was created. Because John 1 Verses one through three says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God speaking of Jesus. And it says all things 
were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Nothing was made that was made without Jesus. So he created male and female. He created the universe. He created marriage. But some people would take God's design for appropriate relationships between men and women and they would distort it. And that's a tactic of the enemy. Because the devil will want to take what God created and turn it upside down. Oh, God created marriage this way. I'm going to turn it upside down. I'm going to encourage people to be male with male and female with female. Oh, wait a minute. Marriage is representative of Christ's relationship to the church. Oh, I don't like that, the enemy says. Let's turn that upside down. And so we have to realize the, the schemes of the enemy. And so it is against his design. People will mess with God's design for marriage, relationship between one male, one female in the marriage relationship. That's the only context where, where sex is allowed by God. Where the bed is undefiled in marriage between one male, one female. And it's biblical and, and it's clear. So we shouldn't mess with God's design. I mean, we wouldn't do that with anything else. I wouldn't go over anybody else's house the way they designed it and make it the way I want to design it and then go home. Nobody else. Who would do that with anything else? Who would take dog food that's designed to feed dogs and and feed it at one of our church's potlucks? Or love feasts? No, because the dog food is not designed for humans. And so we should stick with with God's design. In verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a corrupt mind, a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Things that they should not do. They're morally wrong. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness or greed, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness or ill will. They are whisperers or gossips, backbiters, verse 30s, verse 30, which means they're open slanderers. They're haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. They find new ways to do evil, disobedient to parents. The whole world is under the sway of the evil one, the scripture says. God says, children, obey your parents. And look at this, disobedient to parents. He likes to take what God created, how God wants things, and turn them upside down. And, and there's many people who bite on that. Hook, line, and sinker. You're undiscerning in verse 31. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice, that's their rule of life. They practice such things. They're deserving of death. They know that. And not only do the same, not only do they continue to do them, but they also approve of or applaud those who practice these things, these sins. And therefore, those who practice these sinful lifestyles, they're going to receive God's justice instead of his mercy. 
And so that's what we want. We want God's mercy. Psalm 32, 1 says, blessed or happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We want the mercy of God. We don't want God's justice. But that's what's going to happen when a person does not repent and receive Christ. And so already in this letter to the Romans, we, we see the beginning of the, the, the bad and the ugly about mankind. We see the righteousness of God's judgment. And so he's painting with the black canvas because later on, we're going to see that, that God's judgment is righteous and is right and is true all the time. And then as we read this and we see what God has done to help us out of this spiritual mess, we're going to appreciate what God has done through Christ even more. It's going to cause us to praise God even more. And so I don't understand how people can go to a church where oh, they don't talk about sin. And I'm not saying go out of our way just to talk about sin all the time. But people have to know what they're saved from. We're saved from sin. We're saved from, from death. We're saved from eternal death, eternal separation from God. That's only through Christ. And so why are people celebrating Christ if they don't talk about the sin that we've been delivered from? They don't talk about the hell that we've been delivered from. It's a must that we talk about it because God talks about it. But as we go through Romans, we're going to see and we're starting to see the bad. We're going to see the ugly. But guess what? We're going to see the good and we're going to praise God even more. And hopefully we'll fall in love with God even more. We'll also see the travesty of believing, teaching and behaving like sin is okay. Going to see the travesty of that. Some people think it's thinks it's okay. Now, if people were to understand these verses that we read, would they would they really want to have it their way? Would they really want to to live their own way? And some people think because they're able to live their way and they seem happy and they're posting pictures on Facebook of all. Um, the, the, the sin that they're doing and you can fill in the blanks of what they're putting on Facebook or Instagram or whatever they're doing there. And they seem to not have a care in the world. They seem to be so free. But if they knew what the scripture said, would they really want it their way? Would you really want it your way? Because that is a sign of God's judgment. If people are able to live the way they want to live, not feel convicted, no chastisement. First of all, that's a sign that they're not saved because if they were a child of God, they'll be chastised. Because he chastises who he loves, the scripture says. He chastises his children if they're out of line. And so what we see here, when people are able to live that way, with no care in the world and live in sin and glorify it. What they're really experiencing is an example of God's judgment. And we see that in the scriptures here where it talks about how God gave them up to uncleanness, how God gave them up to vile passions, how God gave them over to a debased or a corrupt mind. And they began to do those things that they ought not to do because God said, OK, you want to you want to suppress the fact that I am God. You want to suppress the truth. You don't want to be thankful 
But you don't want to glorify me as God. You want to go your own way. Well, God, who doesn't override people's free will, he doesn't force people to do things. He gives people free will. He says, "Okay, if that's what you want to do, then I'll give you over to it. And so it's actually a sign of God's judgment. So should people really want it their way? Should people really want it their way? And eventually, yes, they're going to receive or reap those consequences of sin in this life and in eternity. So don't envy them because things may look good on Facebook. Oh, I wish I had that. They seem so happy. They seem so free. And as a Christian, I'm going through persecution. I'm having financial troubles. I'm having marital struggles. Everything at church is not perfect. Not the way I thought it would be. Everything is not hunky-dory. It's not peaches and cream every day. And this person who's living in sin, they seem to be having so much fun and they seem to be so free. But the word of God says, do not envy them. Psalm 37, 1 says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity because judgment is coming. And as a matter of fact, as I mentioned to you earlier, judgment is right now. They're experiencing it by by living in that sin, by him turning them over to live the way that they want. As the worship team comes forward. I'll ask the question, what did they do to deserve this judgment of God turning them over and for them to start doing those things that they ought not to do what they do? Well, remember, they ignored whatever light, whatever revelation of God they've received. They suppressed it, didn't glorify God. They weren't thankful, but also they made a bad deal. Because if you read carefully, you'll see the word change and exchange. They made a bad deal. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They're making bad deals in addition to rejecting the light they received. Making bad deals. What is the lie? It's basically idolatry. And also, instead of wanting to retain God in their knowledge... They didn't want anything to do with him in verse 28. So, yes, we see the righteous judgment of God in their lives by giving them over to that debased mind. To live the way they want to live. And then, of course, at the end of the day, they're going to receive just judgment for it. So don't be envious of them. But how about us as believers? Have you been finding yourself lately wanting to live life your way? Or have you been living life your way lately? And I just want to share with you, brothers and sisters, that if we're living life our way, then we're missing out. We're just flat out missing out. Whether you live in your way in sin, or you're choosing something or without seeking God's best for you. You're missing out on three things if you want to quickly write them down. Number one, you're missing out on number one if you're trying to live life your way. You're missing out on what God wants you to do. So number one, you're missing out on your purpose. And that's true for believers, yes. Yes. Missing out on what God wants you to do. That's also true for unbelievers. 
missing out on your purpose. You're missing out on who God wants you to be. And he wants you to be conformed to the image of Christ. The more like Christ you are, the more of the best you you become. Does that make sense? The more like Christ you become, the more of the best you you become. That's number two. That's what you're missing out on, trying to live life your way. Or if you're doing that, you're missing out. And number three, you're missing out on what you can have or enjoy. Missing out on what you can have or enjoy. In other words, you're substituting blessings for cursing. You're substituting true joy for just happiness was based on circumstances. You're missing out on true hope for a false hope. You're missing out on eternal rewards just for temporary stuff. You're missing out on true satisfaction from being in a relationship with God. And instead, living life your way. You're only experiencing passing pleasures. And let's bow our heads as we, in our hearts as we get ready to pray. Because we do have communion tonight. And as your, as your hearts are bowed before the Lord right now, I want you to meditate upon this last point. And, and here's the point. My final thought is that just because God allows you to choose doesn't mean he approves. He gives us free will. And if a person uses their free will to suppress the truth of God, they use their free will to not be thankful. If we as believers use our free will to walk the opposite way of our calling. And we don't seem to be experiencing any consequences right now. It does not mean that he approves. Because there is a such thing as a perfect will of God, what he prefers. And there's a such thing as the permissive will of God. What he allows. And if you want to operate in the permissive will of God. And what he allows. And allowing you to exercise your free will. Even to do evil. You will always fall short of God's best. So seek God in prayer. Seek him in his word. To find out what's best for you. And that's my final exhortation to you tonight. And at this time, we'll go into the communion part of our service. And we have trays or a tray in the front and a tray at the back. And as we partake of communion, we do it with a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness. Because of that great sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We do it with the heart of remembrance. Never forget that sacrifice. And we do it with the heart of reverence, taking it seriously. 
And so if there's any sin that you are aware of in your life, confess it, repent before partaking of communion. And if you don't know of anything, pray and ask God. And if he doesn't show you anything, praise him. Well, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Help us to be obedient to the light, to the knowledge we have received about you and what you want us to do. I pray, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins if we've been living life our own way. Forgive us, Lord. And we thank you for your mercy. And I pray that you bless these elements, the cracker and the juice, that you'll be glorified throughout the remainder of this night. And may you bless my brothers and sisters as they leave this place, but not your presence. May you use them this week for your glory. May you use them to speak the truth in love, in boldness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for your attentiveness. So as you feel moved to, please feel free and uh, take the elements from the back or front and go back to your seat and you can pray by yourself or with your spouse. God bless you.
for a crown. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So I cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. To that old rugged cross I will ever be true it's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then you'll call me someday to my home far away, where is glory forever I'll share. And so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down and I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down And I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown and I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Go in the joy of the Lord, in the love of the Lord, and in the strength of the Lord.